The word of the Lord says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. May we be blessed by reading of God's word this morning. You may all be seated. Just a few quick announcements uh, this morning, then we'll get started. Uh, We're walking through a series called Recovering Redemption, and just looking at what God has for us as a church as we continue uh, to look to Him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Just as a reminder, Wednesday evenings, uh, prayer, uh, dinner, and um, service, please join us at 6 o'clock. That's a great time for fellowship. A uh, great time for prayer and then to come around God's word, uh, really to feast on it. And then the last one is we've gathered a few resumes. We're walking through those as we continue to look for a youth pastor. And we'll uh, start meeting with those candidates here in the next few weeks. But let me pray for us and then we're going to ju- jump in this morning. God, I'm grateful to be in your house with your people. And I pray that you would continue to bring healing to us as we look to you. We're grateful for all that you do for us. We're grateful for your great salvation. So lead us, God, this morning as we uh, look to you and to your word. We do come and plead unto you, as we've been doing for months now, that you would direct us to the right youth pastor. As we now have these resumes and pray over these resumes and uh, begin to call their references, we pray that you would point us in the right direction. And that we would be obedient to you and to you alone. So lead us, guide us, and give us great hope. This morning we pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's kids said amen. Uh, we will be in Isaiah, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 15. So let's start in Luke chapter 15. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're looking at this idea of how God created us. Remember, God created us in His image. And because of the fall, and because of our brokenness, we've distorted the image of God, and yet God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us back to how we were created. How we were created was this, and simply this, that we were meant for relationship with God, ourselves, and then ultimately with one another, the church. But how sin has ravaged that. And As I've been praying and walking through this series, my hope for us is this, that we'll be able to get back to how God created us so that we can live in relationship and live holy, as Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. 
But I've come that you may have life and life to the full. And my desire for us as God's people and for my own life is that we would live full and abundant lives. And so this morning, I want to begin to look at how do we get back to how God called us. Remember uh, the model that we've been using. The key in all this is what we're going to talk about this morning. It's repentance. So this morning is about repentance. The biblical definition of repentance is this. Repentance is an act of acknowledging past wrongdoings. Experiencing regret. And committing to right behavior and obedience to God. Is a transformative process that involves turning away from sin or transgressions and back towards God. Repentance is, I was headed this way, and out of God convicting me, I will turn this way and move in obedience to God. And I want to walk us through what that looks like, how that starts, and what that will lead to. So where does it start? What's our involvement in repentance? And then what is our responsibility after we come to a place of repentance. But I want to quote the great reformer, Thomas Cramner, when he says this, because this is what we have to ask ourselves first and foremost. Because Jesus said it first, where does sin originate? The heart. Sin does not originate in the mind. Sin originates in the heart. So there has to be a transformation of the heart. If there's no transformation of the heart, then we'll continue to go on sinning. If we just have transformation of the mind without transformation of the heart, we're full of knowledge. The world is full of knowledge, and yet there's no transformation because there's no change of the heart. Here's what the great reformer of England said, and this is what we have to ask ourselves this morning. What does your heart love? the first question you have to ask as you sit here this morning what does your heart truly love Cramner says this what the heart loves the will chooses what the heart loves the will will choose what it loves and then he says this then the mind justifies it I'm going to say it again. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and then my mind will justify what I'm choosing to do to make it okay. So the question is for us this morning is what does your heart, what does my heart, what does the heart of this church love? Because then our will will choose that and our mind will justify what we're choosing and will continue to sin but we'll have justification on it, and we'll think we're doing okay. How do you think the world got to where the world got? If you've been watching the news for the last week, like, just go, just turn on the news. How is it okay that a male has decided to become a female and swim in uh, the Ivy Championships, and the world is like, let's praise that, that's good. Because the heart is chosen, what is deceitfully wicked above all things, 
The will continues to choose it, and now the mind is justifying it. That's okay. I was talking to a friend on a plane yesterday about this idea, and this is what is so sad. That young male, young woman, whatever you want to call them, will one day be our modern-day Jackie Robbins. Do you see that? She will be praised for going through transgender operations to become a woman, and we'll praise that. The world thinks that's okay. Because the world is not in a place of repentance. Again, we ask the question, what does your heart, what does my heart love? What we love, our will will choose, and our minds will justify it. We have to come to a place of repentance. Repentance is not about the mind. Repentance is about the heart. We must have a change of heart. We have a change of heart. We will have a change of behavior. Say that again. If we have a change of heart, we will have a change of behavior. We see that so clearly in Luke chapter 15. Let's turn there this morning together. You know the passage well. The passage is about the, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and ultimately the lost son or the lost two sons. Both sons are lost in the passage. I know Jared spoke on this several months ago, and I'll say it again. This is a beautiful passage. But when we come to the passage, we must ask ourselves this. Who are we in the passage? Let's go back to who Jesus is talking to. Luke chapter one, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus goes in to the parables. So who is Jesus talking to? There's two people in the audience that he's talking to. The sinners, those that clearly, we would say, are sinful people. And then the other one is the religious people, the Pharisees. We have to ask ourselves this morning, who are we in the passage? Are we the sinners? That there's blatant sin in our lives that need to be confessed? Or are we the Pharisees, the righteous that need the same amount of forgiveness that the sinners do. Are you the righteous, self-righteous that need repentance? Are you the sinner this morning? And now Jesus goes into the parable and says this. Because he's addressing both people that have come to hear him. And he said to them, there was a man who had two sons. Who are you? Which son are you this morning? Which son am I? Which son are we, Powell's Chapel, this morning? The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between both of them. In that moment, he took all of his property and gave it to both sons. And we'll see what both sons do with the property that was given to them in a moment. And he divided them between. Not many days later, 
The younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. You can see already this young man. We see what his heart's desire was. We see how his will chooses what his heart's desire was. We will ultimately see how his mind justified what he was doing. He goes on, he squanders all that he had in a far away land, as far away from the father. I believe he went as far away from the father because he didn't want the conviction to be near the father. We can also say in this passage that he, he, it was this, that there was something about living with the father that he knew he couldn't continue to live the way he was going to live because there was going to be consequences for that, so he left. That's true for us as God's people. God calls us to live a certain way, does he not? So why do we run from God in our sin? Because we know that God is going to bring correction to us. So we want to get as far away from the correction that God is going to bring. So we desert him. He never deserts us. So this young man runs from the presence of the Father or runs from the presence of God. Anyone identify with that? It's not that we don't love God, it's that we don't love his discipline to us. Because we want to live the way we want to live so we can justify what we're doing. So he had squandered all that he had. So after squandering all that he had, and he had spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. Circle that word in your Bible. Sin always brings need. I'm going to get that in the application this morning. So he went and hired himself out to one of the civilians, the citizens of the country, who sent him into the fields with the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself or came to his senses, his senses, he was reminded of what? What was he reminded of in the passage? His father. What was he reminded about the father? The father's presence. The father's goodness. The father's kindness. He says, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's reminded of what the father was giving freely to those that were underneath him. And he says, I will rise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's saying in that moment, I'll rise and I will repent. I will turn back. And go back to the Father. My question to us this morning is this. Have you come to your senses? Will you return to the Father? If you're the sinner this morning, I'll get to you the Pharisee later. But if you're the sinner this morning, has the Holy Spirit awoken your heart to a place of understanding who God is. 
now will you respond to that call. Come to your senses and return to the Lord. So he returns. He says, I'll go to my father. I'll tell him I've sinned against him and I've sinned against heaven. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. And he arose. Or he repented and came to his father. See that? That he was headed this way. He returned and went this way. Catch this next part. Circle it in your Bibles. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran towards him and embraced him and kissed him. God is always present with his love for us. He is longing for the sinner to return to him. He feels compassion towards you and loves you and was waiting for you to return and he will run and embrace you. I'll get that part in the application this morning. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he cuts him, the father cuts him off and, and basically says, no, no, don't finish. And no, no, you're you are going to be called my son. It's the next part of the passage. It said, but the father cut him off and said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe. Allow him to know that he's my son. That's what the robe would mean. And put on to him the ring, the thing that will signify to him and put dignity on his feet. And bring a fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. We see a few things in this passage as a reminder. We are sons and daughters of God and he robes us with his righteousness. It's a picture of God when we return to him, he puts his robe of righteousness on to us. And we're adopted into his family and we now have the signet ring on our hand with all authority that God has given to us. Don't miss this next part of the passage. What did it cost the father for the son to return? It cost the father something. Do you see it in the passage? It cost him a goat. It ought to remind us of what it cost the Father when we return to Him. It cost the Father, the spotless Lamb, His only Son, Jesus. And then what does it say after that? There was a celebration, a feast, because of the sacrifice that was made for the Son who was lost to return home. Now there's this celebration happening at the house and the older son the Pharisee, the self-righteous man, says this about him. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard this loud music and dance and he called one of the servants and asked, what is this that it means? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he's received him safe and sound. But now we see the self-righteous man we see his heart. 
what he loves and what he will choose and what the mind will justify. He gets angry and he refuses to come in. His father came out and entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look all these days, circle this one little letter word in your Bible. You'll see his self-righteousness. All these years, I have served you. I have never disobeyed your commands. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Look at that self-righteousness. I, I, it's about me. And what does he do? We see what he loves. He loves himself. He goes after what he loves. That's the will. And now he's justifying it with his mind by saying, look what all the things I've done. That's our self-righteousness. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's oftentimes in our self-righteousness that we do that as well. He says, I've never been able to celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, not my brother, the son of yours, who's devoured all your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Basically, how dare you? How could you give that sacrifice for this man that's done this? If we're honest with ourselves, how often do we do that when we look at who God has died for? How could he die for him or them? It's the self-righteousness that's in us. And he said to him, look at the kindness of the father. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Everything I have is yours. If you're the self-righteous man, the self-righteous woman, don't forget all that God has. He freely gives to you this morning. And he said to him, son, all you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and to be glad that your brother who was dead and is alive and was lost, is found. Look what the father does. He points him not and says, my son, but he says, your brother. Church, if a sinner comes to know Jesus, he is now one of our brothers or our sisters. We ought to treat them that way. So now I want to ask the question this morning to us, what is our response and who we are and what we've done? Is there a place of repentance in your heart? Will you be the younger son that needs to come to repentance and turn? Are you the older brother that needs to return in repentance and return to God? Remember what repentance is. It's an act of acknowledging past wrongdoing. As you sit here, as I sit here, we the church sit here this morning, are there any past wrongs we must repent of? Will we, res- will we express regret and commit to right behaving in obedience to God? 
Because when we do, it is a transformative process that will involve turning away from our sin and turning to God. Now, I want to look at how repentance all begins. Because if we just think that repentance starts with us, we're fooling ourselves. Repentance does not start with you. It starts with God. And what does it start with? He must be reminded of this. It starts with God's love for us. What Paul says in Romans chapter 5 is this. But God showed his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It starts with him. Our own repentance starts with the love of God. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Why were we yet sinners? God loved us and died for us. And when we come to understand that it's about God, and it's about Him, and it's about His holiness, and it's about His goodness, it's going to reveal something to us. When we turn away from ourselves and look to God, something happens. Look back at what Jared read. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. It says this. This is Isaiah speaking, the great prophet. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? The Lord. I saw God's love. I saw God's presence. I saw God's holiness. I saw him sitting on his throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each six wings. Two that covered his face, two that covered his feet, two of them that flew. And they called out one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. At the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And then look at the response of Isaiah. After seeing the presence of God. The love of God. He realizes his need for God. He says, woe to me. I'm in great need. You see, God's love will always Reveal our need. Remember what God does in the garden. Think about this for a moment. God makes everything. He plants all the trees. He divides the earth from the ground and puts the water in place and puts birds and puts animals in place. And then remember what it says in Genesis chapter 2. He then puts this tree where? In the middle of the garden. Remember what he says to Adam and Eve about the tree that he puts in the middle of the garden. The tree is a reminder of God himself. And he says to them, you can have everything that you want. All this is yours. But that one tree, don't eat of it or what? You'll surely die. Now why would God do that? 
why would God take a tree and plant it in the middle of the garden and then tell him in the middle of the garden, hey, you will always see this tree and don't ever eat from it because if you eat from it, you'll surely die. That tree is a reminder that they are not God. That tree is a constant reminder that they are not God, and therefore it's a constant reminder that they what? They need God. God could have put that tree anywhere. But where did he put it? In the middle of the garden. Because God wanted them to constantly remember their need for him. And every time they saw that tree, they're reminded of the presence of God, and then they're reminded of their need for God. My question to you, my question to me, my question for this church, have we taken the presence of God and put it in a corner? So we have the presence of God, but it's tucked way back there, and so we do our business without being reminded of the presence of God, and we're not reminded of the presence of God, we're never really we reminded of our need for God. And look what happens when we're reminded of our need for God. We remember the holiness of God. We are come to a place of our neediness for God. Then it says this. We then bring our need who? To where? Back to the presence of God. When we bring our need back to the presence of God, what is the promise of God? God always meets our need. Always. When we bring our sin before God in an act of repentance, no matter what we've done, he says this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You will always be in my presence. My presence will always be with you. And then what happens out of a response for that? When we understand the holiness of God. We understand our neediness for God. We understand that he meets every need that we have and always forgiveness. What will flow out of that as the people of God? Let's look at the passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the presence of God. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. So he makes confession in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, it says this, Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that was taken from the altar or from the presence of God and he touched my mouth and he says behold this has touched your lips and what your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for and now look he comes to the place of the presence of God God meets his need with forgiveness what is Isaiah's response he says in this moment then he heard all of this worship happen he is in the presence of God worshiping with a gratitude of what God has done for him 
do we have a constant gratitude for all that God has done for us? I want you to think if you're 80 years old or 10 years old. Can you be reminded of the presence of God? When you took your need to God, and He performed what you could not perform and forgave you of your sin. That ought to lead all of us, if you have salvation, to a place of great worship to God. He atoned your sins and you are forgiven. Do we have that gratitude this morning? Are we tucked the greatest gift that God ever gave to us, our salvation in a corner, and we're no longer reminded of the greatness of God and what he did for us? Because after that, when we have a gratitude and a worship to God, it will change everything about us. He says this, then we begin to have love for other people. Why do we love other people? What John says in 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 19, we love why? Because he first loved us. We love one another, not because of anything we've done, but because of the love of God and the reminder of the love that God had for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And when we love other people, then we will act in obedience to God because now we love him and we love other people. Do we love God this morning? Because if we love God, we will be in obedience to God. He says in John chapter 14, 15, if you what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't keep God's commandments because we ought to or because we should or because we're getting in trouble if we don't. We simply keep the commandments of God out of obedience to God because we're reminded of the love of God that God has for us and we love him in return. Is that true for you? Is it true for me? Because if we're keeping the commandments of God out of obligation, that's the law. The law is oppressive. God's love is not oppressive. God's law, uh, God's love sets us free. And so are we acting in obedience because of the love that God has for us and our return is simply to love him back by keeping his commandments. Because then and only then will we live sacrificially. He says this, when you love other people because you love me, You'll love one another, and then the world will know that you're my disciples. We'll live sacrificially, then we'll live as active agents of God's love to redeem the world. But look where it starts again. It starts with a reminder of God's love for you. Do we know that, church? Do we believe that? Because when we love God... And what changes? Our hearts. And when our heart changes, what happens? The will changes. 
the will changes. We no longer go after the worldly things. We go after godly things. And then our mind no longer has to justify our behavior. Our mind can do what Paul says. We can live as living sacrifices because of the transformation of our minds. It doesn't start with our minds. It starts with our repentance because of the love of God. So I'd ask you this this morning in closing. Do you know and have you experienced God's love? God showed his love for us while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Are you aware of his love this morning? If you're aware of his love this morning, you will be aware of your great need for repentance. Now to being aware of your great need for your repentance, you will repent and then you will find and feel the presence of God. And then you will live and we will live as God's people with a place of gratitude. That we will say, as the psalmist said, I'll give thanks to the Lord with what? All of my heart. And I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. I will be glad and extol him and I'll sing praises in his holy name. Are we living lives of gratitude? That then offer us a place to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we'll act in obedience, keep his commandments, and we'll live sacrificially with him and with one another. Would we become a place, as I said last week, is this a safe place to confess? Is the promise of confession or repentance is forgiveness. First from God, and then to one another. Will Powell's Chapel be a place of honest confession? Why? Not because of anything we've done, but because of the holiness and the love that God so generously pours out for us. May we have eyes like the great prophet Isaiah. May we see the Lord sitting high on his throne. That will change everything about us. This whole thing about repentance is not about you or me. It's about the holiness of God. We be reminded constantly of the holiness of God. Because when we are, it changes everything. As one writer says, the bigger God gets, the smaller I become. John says this, he must, he must increase, so I decrease. May we increase the holiness of God in this place as we decrease who we are. Let me pray.